Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and today we are talking Anbox, a relatively new organization that is housed right in New York City and has found immediate success in a few esports. To talk Anbox, we have Rohit Gupta, the co-founder and chief product officer for Anbox. Rohit Gupta, I'm sorry about that, and Will Catrone, director of communication for Anbox. Rohit, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. And Will, I'm excited to have you on the other side of the mic this time, actually uh, contributing to the show. Thanks for coming on. Happy to be here and uh, yeah, different, different experience this time. It's a little bit odd to not be on the muted one. Now you got the pressure on you. Yep, yep. Glad to be here. So in addition to co-founding Ambox, Rode is also a partner at Sterling Venture Capital, where he's worked for the last six years or so. But today we're really focusing on Anbox. They're one of the major organizations that popped up alongside the Activision Blizzard franchise leagues. They started with a top-tier team in the New York Excelsior in the Overwatch League before adding the New York Subliners in the Call of Duty League. I had Mac, the New York Subliners rookie, on the show a few months back, and he talked about how awesome it is to be uh, playing for an organization that embraces New York at such a core level. And both teams have found early success, have cemented themselves as two of the key teams, two of the key brands, really, going forward in both the Overwatch and Call of Duty leagues. But Ambox also expanded outside of the franchise world, at least for now, by signing a Valorant squad. And as we said, they're based in America's most iconic city, and Ambox has closely tied their brand with the streets of New York. That includes embracing the fashion world that covers the city, a partner with major brands like Nike, and creating unique collections for Ambox streamers and pro players. It also includes the platform Battle of the Boroughs. The first event was held over the summer as eight regions in and around New York fielded three-person teams. In addition to the five iconic boroughs of New York, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, Manhattan, and Brooklyn, Ambox also included upstate New York, New Jersey, and Long Island to really encapsulate the entire region. Battle of the Boroughs, plus a few more, is slated to return this fall as Connecticut joins the mix in addition to those eight other regions. Each event has had a prize pool of $50,000 and is held in Fortnite. Registration has already closed for these fall uh, matches, but matches are set to begin on November 6th with the regional finals on November 13th and the grand finals on November 20th. So, Will, as director of communications, I totally get why other regions had to be included around New York, but I found New Yorkers could be a little bit testy about their boroughs. Have you had any pushback from New Yorkers on the inclusion of those added regions like Long Island, Connecticut, and upstate New York? You know, it's funny you say that. Uh, you know, I grew up in Queens, right? So uh, I, I uh, definitely fundamentally understand the the amount of pride um that that new yorkers have um when you're looking at the, like the local metro area i actually think that us going the more inclusive route and and bringing in um you know connecticut obviously this time um parts of uh, upstate new york and new jersey i think it actually adds fuel to the competitive fire um i think uh whether you're from brooklyn or you're on the other side of the river in jersey or staten island um there's there's always something special about where you're from and there's always something you don't like about where someone else is from um so uh you know the the lines have been have been drawn in traditional sports for a while among uh, a lot of different professional teams in new york and different sports um and we kind of embraced um being new york's esports org and um and welcoming the larger tri-state area metro area if you will um, and we thought it was actually pretty fitting. So uh, we, we really didn't get any pushback. Um, I think that uh, everyone was just kind of eager to jump in and compete and show who, who was the best. 
Um, Long Island obviously won the first competition, so um, we're we're excited to see um, if Connecticut coming in now uh, shakes it up a little bit. I love to see it. You know, if uh, if Brooklyn or, or the Queens gets uh, gets a little upset, well, they got an easy avenue to prove they're the best. You just got to win. Super simple. So it's a, it's a really cool event. And one of the best examples of one of Activision Blizzard's franchise leagues, these teams that have been tied so closely to cities, but have had a very tumultuous year due to the coronavirus, connecting with the local audience and really showing an understanding of the local audience and an embracing of the local audience, finding a way to bring esports competitions into New York and into the core there. I feel like uh, from just a top level view, Anbox has done one of the best jobs of connecting with that core city, even though circumstances have been pretty difficult to do that, uh, given COVID and New York being the most densely crowded city in the entire uh, country. So, Rowan, I'm curious from your perspective, you know, I think everyone's sick of talking about the coronavirus at this point, but it's been something you've been dealing with uh, for the last seven, eight, nine months at this point. And I'm curious how you've tried to create a roadmap for the organization going forward when there's so much uncertainty that naturally comes with a virus like this, when we really don't know what timetable we're working under. Yeah, sure. That's a great question. Um, just taking it back a little bit, three years ago when we first bought into the franchise ecosystem, we we're particularly excited about bringing esports to New York. Um, and that happened earlier this year uh, with hosting the first ever home game in, uh, in Hammerstein Ballroom. We we're very excited about it, and it was incredible. We were excited about doing our second version as well as doing Call of Duty uh, later on in the year. Obviously, March started the, the shutdowns in New York, and we had to rapidly pivot our, our overall organization. Uh, it was Obviously, challenging has been challenging for everyone, but it's affected our whole business uh, from shooting content with our players, being able to engage with fans, playing naturally our our league events. And as of now and today, where our whole organization is effectively being run remote. Um, I will say earlier this year, you saw a lot of traditional sports league adopt a lot of what esports leagues have been doing as well as and using gaming as a way to engage fans. So I think we've, for the most part, we've been able to continue business as is. Uh, there's nothing that replaces an offline activation. Um, and that's what, again, going back three years of why we got into this was bringing that, that activation, a season year long activation to a city like New York. However, we've been able, gaming can be conducted online. It has been doing that for a very long time. And we've been able to innovate and test in a couple different products this year. And we continue to uh, build on those until next year and build flexibility into every, like our whole activation schedule, where if it becomes safe to put on the offline activation, we can pivot to do so. Um, some of the things that you alluded to, we, we launched Battle of the Bros earlier this year uh, in partnership with Epic and featuring Fortnite. We continue to see that being uh, growing out. Um, we had launched uh, a concept called Spring Rally, which is our collegiate activation uh, this year. Earlier this year, we launched it with both um, 
Overwatch and Call of Duty. And in fact, Valorant came out at the exact same time. And so we ran the first ever collegiate event for Valorant. And that was one benefit that we could quickly add that into our, our um, uh, to launch that product because it was online. It would have been harder to execute that uh, offline. So that there are pros and cons to, to these things where you, you do have added flexibility. Um, we were able to, you know, the city hurt deeply when uh, when it went to shut down. So we did a couple of apparel, one of our apparel drops in, uh, with our team captain, Sabiobi from, from NYXL. We, we fundraised for New York City Mesh to help support um, people who need internet access. Uh, you know, we produced, we had to pivot the way we do our content, which uh, was one of the reasons you allude to of, everything we do is from a tone of voice and branding when it comes to New York. So some of our players doing that, replicating the New York backdrop when people, when players are for home, we, you just can't do that. Right. And we had to rethink how we do content and shoot content. Um, all of these things we can quickly turn on and off, depending if we are able to safely uh, engage with our players offline or our fans offline. And, and so going into next year, our roadmap is continually to grow the, the gaming ecosystem in New York, and hopefully we can start bringing some offline events back, back into play. I think we're all really hoping for those offline events to retire. And esports just has such a special atmosphere in offline events when you can go enter a stadium. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of the uh, publishers have done a great job of running their leagues online only but there's something that you can only capture with an offline event and i'm sure the activision blizzard leagues in particular i was really looking forward to seeing how all the different team owners would create events that embrace their city's uh, various culture and just sort of seeing that traveling roadshow of us across the united states is something i'm still really looking forward to uh, and hopefully 2021 goes off very smoothly there's quite a few things in your answer I want to follow up on, uh, including apparel, which we're going to talk about later, including some of those partners. Uh, Ambox has one of the longest list of brand partners in all of esports. Uh, but let's first talk about Valorant and expanding uh, beyond Call of Duty and Overwatch into a new title. As you have an organization that is so connected to New York at its absolute core, that's a little easier to do when two of your teams are the New York Subliners and the New York Excelsior. They're kind of uh, indelibly tied to the city by default. How do you do that for a Valorant squad that isn't geolocalized? You know, what extra steps are you taking for the Valorant team to make sure they're also as connected to New York as the Call of Duty and the uh, Excelsior teams are? Yeah, I think... What's particularly exciting for us, it's our first team that's playing under the Anbox name. Uh, for your listeners, the basically Anbox is uh, the parent company where our two franchises sit under, uh, which we launched last year. And this is the first time we're launching a new, uh, a new esports team playing under that umbrella, our brand. And I think it just goes back to everything that we do is, is in theory tied to this market. And so when we're selecting players, while they don't have to be from this region, just like in traditional sports, not everyone who, who plays the New York Knicks um, is from New York. 
but they play when they step on stage, they're playing for New York. And so it goes into selecting our players, making sure they culturally know and understand that when they step on stage, they're playing for our fan base, which is New York, but also global. Um, you know, when everyone likes to wear the New York, the New York hat and represent New York. And so at the core of our identity, uh, our interwoven elements of New York that comes from uh, our branding and our content. And it goes down to even our activations. I mentioned we did our spring rally collegiate event uh, with Valorant that, that had in part the, the, the schools that we work with locally. It comes with competitions. It comes with the, the style of content that you're doing. And hopefully in the future, our players can come to New York and play uh, in the lands of New York. Uh, and we see that hopefully in the near future. Definitely. New York's teams have that added ability of connecting themselves to the city, but because of New York's stature in the world and just uh, iconic nature, they expand pretty quickly. I was actually watching a documentary on uh, the unearthing of an Egyptian tomb on Netflix yesterday, and I promise this connects. Uh, it was uh, It's a really, really good documentary for everybody. I can't remember the name of the tomb right now, but the chief archaeologist wore a New York Yankees hat, a different one, every single time he appeared on the show. And I thought it was just such a great representation of how iconic a New York brand can be that it reaches an Egyptian archaeologist and he just has a whole fleet of New York hats. Uh, and so I, I thought that was really That's cool. amazing. That's awesome. I mean, there's something there's something too that we've seen to, to row its point, right? About um, you know just just pivoting slightly from the Egyptian mummy um, story. Uh, <laughs> um, tie it know, together, with, we'll tie it. Right, I'm tying it together here, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the fact that like it's our first team competing under the Nbox banner, um, we've had um, we've had fans right that might not have been Call of Duty fans or might not have been Overwatch League fans that are that are playing Valorant or, or come from the CSGO scene that are then actually discovering, um, okay, they've discovered Nbox and they also understand that we're in New York and then they've figured out that we have other teams in, in other esports. So it, um, it's been fascinating to see that as well, where, um, you know, it, it kind of flows both ways, right? Where we're introducing ourselves to fans and fans are kind of diving deeper into our organization and the, the teams that we have. And also like what we're doing, uh, you know, overall in New York. Um, so it's, it, it's been fun to see that process in, in real time, you know, as we launch the team, as it's been competing, um, and, and introducing, you know, both the team and the players to the world. Definitely. You get to really connect everybody together under one esports organization and having that Ambox brand name come out is, uh, really a little bit unique in how esports has worked. I think it started with Activision Blizzard's leagues where you had teams, creating their brand for the Overwatch League and the Call of Duty League, and then knowing that, hey, eventually that's also going to expand to games where we're going to compete under the Ambox logo. So it's a little uh, unique for the first team under a overall company to come out a few years after the company was actually co-founded. Rowan, as you were back in those early days of, of founding the company, how were you balancing the different design of okay here's our overall brand and then here's the brands we want to bring to the overwatch and call of duty leagues how do we make sure that those all fit cleanly under the same roof and the same brand style yeah we obviously didn't know the future at that time but we knew that we had to build flexibility into anything that we did uh 
for the eventual whether or not a brand had to be closed off to a particular league in the in the example of uh, Overwatch League or Call of Duty League. And we knew what our vision was, was to build a larger organization representing all of New York esports, not just within the Activision Blizzard Leagues. So we worked with an award-winning design agency called Mother Design uh, to help us with that. And, and you know, we first launched Excelsior or short form NYXL. Um, and the brand has a geometric shape. Um, it was very different to how existing esports brands were at the time. And also, if you look at the other team names, um, quite different as well. And we did this on purpose because we, we were able to then launch a family of brands that all are, are all tied to one another as well as all tied to New York. Interesting. And you also found a great way of being in the fashion world. The NYXL has become... Uh, has done some really interesting collaborations, especially with Nike. One of the first uh, things that that major athletic apparel brand did in the esports world, and now they've slowly been ramping up their involvement a little bit more and more. How, especially as New York is known as being one of the main fashion capitals of the world, how did you help position the brand to be in a place where we could also embrace fashion, like we've seen some of the other esports organizations do as well. You know, you mentioned the geometric logo. How much of this was thinking about the fashion world going in? It was a key component to how we thought about the brand and the logo. But, you know, it comes with a combination of two things. One is our fans and what they're looking for. And naturally, as you say, you know, New York is one of the epicenters of fashion. And, and two, the people who run our department. And so we, we knew you wanted to invest in this area. We went out and uh, our department's now run by uh, Colette Gangemi, who's formerly of DC Shoes and Red Bull. Uh, we brought on a creative director who's CFDA winning creative designer, Maxwell Osborne. Our lead technical designer comes from Ralph Lauren, Mary Clark. And, and this is a team that has you know, decades of experience and relationships with factories where we can do custom apparel. It's not just attaching a logo and print screening a logo onto an existing blank uh, on the market. This, we can, the, the types of apparel and consumer products beyond just uh, apparel are, are vast. And we are able to do these at quick runs because of the relationships um, that we have with different factories on the global scale. And, it's important for when you're building for the first time a product rooted in New York where our fan base want to root for New York, you got to give them an ability to do so. And we do that through premium apparel and we've run pop-up shops. Uh, you know, one of my favorite ones that we did was in, in year one of uh, the Overwatch League in Brooklyn. And we had our players come and each day we had 800 people wait in line in New York summers to meet our players and buy the apparel. And it just shows you for the first time when you provide a product that people want, they're going to, this audience will buy and want to rep what you do. You know, the other, the other thing that was an interesting observation, right, from, from an apparel perspective, right, and it ties back into what Rowett was talking about a little bit earlier with Hammerstein Ballroom, is we had, um, we had a limited edition um, collection that we had put together with the, um, with the designers that, that Rowett mentioned um, that was only available... Uh, the weekend of our homestand, 
right? So those Saturday and Sunday in February, when we were playing for the first time ever in, in New York, um, I remember the second day on Sunday, um, you know, we were there obviously as staff before the doors opened. And as soon as the doors opened, um, the, the the merchandise area, there were there were a number of fans went running to it, right? Because it was they were there not only to support the team, but they were every, everything intersected. You know, like the the fandom of seeing the team live, the excitement about apparel that they knew they could only get at that moment in time. Um, th- that's something that's inherent in in sports. Um, and you know, we we took a fresh approach. We 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 firmly believe from an esports perspective. Um, into how to deliver that to to esports fans in New York that just hadn't had access to really any of that before on a regular basis for their local teams. Esports is really quickly becoming a tentpole of modern streetwear, and we've seen a lot of organizations embrace this in different ways. Uh, Xset has done some some aspects of this. Phase Clans partnered with Champion. Uh, you have other partnerships with Nike. Puma with Adidas uh, across esports, and it actually became not—I don't want to say controversial—but there was a little bit of shade thrown last weekend. So we're recording this on Tuesday the third, and on Sunday, Hastro, the now the chief gaming officer over at Envy Gaming, tweeted something. I don't have the tweet in front of me, but it was something about uh, how we're not trying to sell you hoodies; we're trying to win championships. And a bunch of people responded like, "Well, you can do both. It's." definitely possible to do both and i found it an interesting uh take on you know as every esports brand or a lot of esports brands push into the fashion world why do you feel like there's some pushback from some of the people who've been in esports for a while about this new aspect of the modern esports organization because i think it's a great thing personally no we have a lot of uh respect for hastro i i don't maybe he was referring to a particular organization that puts uh, only apparel first and, and takes away, I, I'm not sure which organization he was referring to by any means or, or haven't seen the tweet. Um, but as you allude to, you can do both. And, and the two aren't taking away from each other. P, you know, people want to show off the sports fandom that they have to the team. And rather than creating low quality apparel, might as well do premium apparel that, that they want. Yeah, I know there's some people inside Envy who are like, really? We're gonna we're gonna throw shade at this now. What what we have a merch line in two months, everyone's gonna bring up this tweet. Sorry to spring that on you. I know that's uh it was just something that I as we talk about fashion, I saw mm. that pop up. Uh and I thought it was a an interesting take for sure, because especially as esports organizations are still evolving and figuring out what role they play in modern culture, uh fashion has been a key part of so many of the biggest ones and i found it odd that some people thought that that maybe was a ill use of of an esports organization for some reason uh but it's something we've seen in sports for a long time we mentioned the yankees earlier yankees hats have taken on a complete life of their own outside of the mlb that's only delivered positive results for the Yankees. I don't think anybody is like, well, the Yankees don't care about winning. They, they, they care about winning. They definitely do. Uh, but their brand has actually allowed them to win more because of how much money it brings in in general, uh, which then allows you to sign better players to win more. So you could argue that fashion is actually crucial to winning more games in the long run. Just say. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think ultimately too, it's just, it shows that the, the industry is growing and becoming more complex and, 
and talking about the different, like us having a conversation about that, about multiple different facets of, of the esports industry in addition to the competitions in my mind is, is a great thing, is a great thing, right? Where, um, you know, just, uh, just as in traditional sports, um, you know, the, the fan experience, um, is both obviously watching the competition, whether it's on a field, a pitch, uh, or a court or the ice, right? Um, there's other things that surround that, um, you know, being able to have those discussions and, and figure out, you know, what's right for the fan and what makes that experience um, better or best, right? Um, it's ultimately going to be up to each team and, and, and the markets are going to be different, uh, just like the fans are different. So I think it's a great, it's a great conversation to have. Um, and it shows that the space is, is continuing to evolve um, and, and, and widen. Um, and sorry, Road, I know I started talking. I think you had, you had something to jump in on there too. I was just going to, Mitch, we look at esports as the new consumer brand, right? Where you have the content as one aspect of it. You have the consumer apparel as one aspect of it. And you have the experiential and the events as one part of it. And that's today what effectively a lot of digital media companies are trying to evolve to. But inherent, inherent to like re- being a New York sports team, there's inbuilt fandom here. And that's why it's so important. Absolutely. You have to embrace what's important to your fans. And when you're based in New York, fashion is important to a lot of your fans. And so embracing that is only going to help drive future fandom down the road. Going top level, Roy, I'm curious because we've talked about how each organization has a different strategy, how there are different aspects of the modern organization. If you had to take a pretty generalized top level view what would you say Anbox's core product is that you're offering to consumers? We are an entertainment product, right? We're offering our teams and as a result, the players who are in, in, in themselves influencers, um, an entertainment product where our fans w- want to engage with. And that's what we are. Absolutely. You're a content house. You're, uh, you're a brand, you're a fashion brand, you're a competitive team. Uh, it's all in the same realm. And it's something that makes esports organizations really cool going forward because they've expanded so much beyond what sports teams are. You know, you see sports teams and they're producing some content, some, they're on all the social media platforms and all that. But esports organizations are almost consistently taking it a step further than what we see in traditional sports, which I think is a really cool thing for the industry going forward. Yeah, I think one of the biggest interesting aspects here versus traditional sports uh, well a couple things one our fans tend to play the game of the player they watch or the influencer they watch much more so than traditional sports that creates a level of engagement that you don't see in traditional sports Uh, and two the accessibility to the players is is way more engaging to our existing fan base than this in traditional sports. You can potentially play the game with your, you know, the LeBron of Overwatch or or Call of Duty. You can tweet at them and they will respond. You can do AMAs on Reddit or Discord and they'll be there. It's this access that gives you this 24-7 engagement and insane fandom to a player or a t- to a team as a result. Uh, and that's that truly is what differentiates esports from traditional sports yeah you know one one uh, thing that we did very early on in the um in the pandemic we um gave fans the ability to queue up with our uh with the new york subliners our professional call of duty team so that they were actually able to jump onto so we had our you know we had i think we were doing quads um 
and we had so we had three of our, our pros right on our roster and then we would loop we would bring in we would rotate in fans right so to, to row its point it's we we had you know a, it's as if in a traditional sport we had a casual fan like jumping into a practice or a scrimmage or a game essentially right um that wasn't like official right but they were playing alongside the best in the world right because that's who our players are they're the best in the world um and I also, you know, when we talk about fashion, I think another way to look at it too, to flip it on its head a little bit, is that we're a brand that also expresses ourselves through fashion, right? Versus uh, always necessarily considering ourselves a standalone fashion brand. I think that's an important um, distinction sometimes when looking at the space, right? Where just as in traditional sports, um, you know, how people show up to a game gives them um, the freedom to, you know, differentiate themselves and express themselves and their support for the team. Um, that's something that that's a, a big priority for us. Um, you know, in the apparel space, right? To, to give people that um, that ability to express their affinity for our brand, um, whether that's, you know, Nbox um, as the organization, as the team, and then of course, obviously, you know, the NYXL and, and the subliners. I wish the traditional sports teams I'm a fan of had much better ways for me to rep them uh, versus just jerseys and random graphic t-shirts. You know, I, I find esports organizations to have a lot better avenues of like oh this is a really cool way i can wear this brand i can support this brand and my closet is slowly transitioning from being very traditional sports focused to being a lot more esports focused shockingly enough <laughs> that's awesome so the last thing i want to do i want to be conscious of your time here but uh, as i write for ad week and i write it for esports business publications i'm a total nerd about the brand sponsorships and the partnerships that major that esports organizations go through especially the ones with major brands and i couldn't let you get away without talking about Ambox's long long list of major partners you know i can't go through them all here but we mentioned nike they've also got kitkat reese's coca-cola and united airlines is just some of the many brands they partner with in addition to of course a long list of gaming brands like headphones chairs all the good stuff you expect from an esports organization how what do you credit for bringing on so many brands as partners in, in just three years you know we see a list here that's longer than most other esports organizations how did you approach that and how have you brought so many major brands especially ones like united airlines that i have not seen anywhere else in esports uh to the ambox family i think first and foremost it starts with our fans the reason we've been able to be successful to brand partners is because of the access to one of the most coveted audiences that are virtually impossible to get in front of otherwise besides gaming as a whole. And we represent one of the most important markets for a lot of brands. The tri-state area is a, is a place a lot of brands want to deploy dollars. And especially in, in the year when it comes to COVID, there was a trend already happening of brands trying to come up with their own gaming strategy and accelerated that when they saw the engagement and, and the ROIs of these spends, um, that with us being in market, we're able to handhold them and be a true partner to them through entering in an authentic way into the space. You don't want to just go and buy a pre-roll or mid-roll ad. That's a failure. However, and it's, this audience is not opposed to advertising any in any means. They actually appreciate advertising, uh, especially brands that make the product they are so passionate about better and are able to provide back 
Um, an example would be a war zone competition or, you know, spring rally and giving um, college kids extra peripherals who couldn't otherwise afford it. And, and the list goes on and on. And, and this is why brands are waking up to what it means to have a gaming strategy. So we've been successful at bringing on a lot of blue chip companies, as you mentioned, United Airlines being the first airline partner. It's a combination of our of the the fans that we have and representing one of the most important markets. But furthermore, uh, obviously being part of Adweek, you know, media agencies and everyone has have become very smart when it comes to digital media and post-sale execution is truly important. Uh, we, we feel we've hired some of the best from the digital media world, given that we are in New York, uh, from Vice, Refinery29, uh, Bustle, BuzzFeed, and the list goes on and on. Uh, and how we've approached and structuring our team. And so we were able to provide real insights back into back to our partners in, in terms of the ROI. And we have a CRM that we can show uh, you know, pre-COVID. People were actually going to stores. Uh, we had activated with one partner and they saw an, a lift larger than the NBA finals even. And, and, and the, those types of case studies and examples are pretty widespread. Uh, and eventually, word of mouth between brands is that we're able to execute on what we say. It's not just a banner ad on Twitch. The esports audience right now is, it's so, so valuable because it's the hardest audience to reach for advertisers and for brands. And like you mentioned, they're so welcoming to brands right now because all the content's free. So it's not like you have to pay for a ton of commercials. And they understand that these brands being involved means that the players that they are more closely connected to are getting paid. It's not like they're all, oh yeah, every athlete makes millions of dollars. It's like, no, that's somebody I watch their stream and I'm stoked that that brand has a partnership there because that guy that whose stream I watch gets paid from it. And so it's, it's a very unique situation that we don't see in traditional sports where people are very uh, numb to all the advertisements they see the, you know, it's, tons of commercial time in between every inning in between every drive in football and esports has less commercials and so when brands do activate and they activate authentically they're welcomed in a way that you don't see in traditional sports and i think that's a really great thing for esports growth for sure a hundred percent i i would say it's important for the brands or a chief marketing officers that are listening to you know, everyone has a Twitter strategy, a Facebook strategy, a Pinterest strategy. It's time to start thinking about what's your gaming strategy or esports strategy. Yeah. Realistically, this period does not last forever. So now is a great time to have that strategy, be an early adopter, and connect with this audience. Yeah. 100%. And, and the thing is, too, I think another way to, another way to look at it is this is a, a massive, massive space in the larger entertainment industry, right, that has... Um, you know, in addition to everything Rode has said, like it, it has a massive audience, right? And it's, it's people that have been engaged for some time and, um, you know, it, they've, they've stayed engaged with whether, you know, it's, it's a specific esport or, or a video game um, that, that is adjacent to it. Um, and, and they don't, you know, th this audience isn't going to stop playing a, a um, playing games or watching esports. They might watch different esports or play different games and in different amounts of time, if you will. Um, but, you know, just as people listen to, to music or, or watching uh, TV and now streaming, obviously, services, um, it's, 
it's something that will continue throughout your life and you're just going to change what that diet is. Um, so uh, it's a really exciting time. It absolutely is. And I will never stop playing video games or engaging in video game spaces. I will be 75 years old and still be trying to make champion Rocket League. I promise you that. <laughs> so that's all for this episode of the esports network podcast uh rohit and will thank you both for coming on i want to give you one final chance to plug ambox what you want people following looking out for coming up rohit i'll turn it over to you first i think our next activation is battle of the burrows featuring Fortnite. so tune in uh anbox underscore official is our twitter handle sign up there uh follow us uh, and you'll hear all the news when it comes to activations of uh, gaming in, in the tri-state market. You'll be able to find Ann Box's social links underneath this episode. Remember to check out that event, uh, the regional finals on November 13th and the grand finals on November 20th on Ann Box's Twitch channel. Twitch, I imagine, just to be clear. It will be on Twitch, Twitch on the Anbox uh, channel. Yep. Just making sure it wasn't YouTube. I know you guys are part of the Activision Blizzard League, so I figured, hey, maybe they've switched everything over to, to YouTube. But uh, <laughs> it'll be on the Twitch channel. So check out Anbox's Twitch channel, which will also be linked on their guest pages. Will, Director of Comms, what would you like people looking out for coming up? I mean, we we have, you know, Battle of the Burrows is something that we're particularly excited for. I would, I would keep an eye out for Queens, uh, being a Queens native, but, uh, no, all, all kidding aside. Um, no, we're, uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's been an exciting year. We're looking ahead to, to next season for, for two of our teams. And we're, look, we're excited that our Valorant team is continuing to compete right now. Um, so for all the Valorant fans out there or people that are trying to, or looking to discover that game, cause we, you know, I understand it's relatively new. Um, uh, potentially for some people, uh, it's a great it's a great way to, to get up to speed on it over the next couple of weeks and months. So, uh, lastly, I would say thanks for having me on the other side of the mic. Um, it was a fun experience. So, very much appreciate you hosting us. It was a pleasure, Will. You did great. I, I enjoyed having. Uh, the director of Cobbs, you're one of my favorite Cobbs people in all of esports. Uh, keep bringing me the great stories, and I'll keep having you on the mic. Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you'll be listening to this one. It'll be published on Monday the 9th? The 9th. Monday the 9th. And then we'll have a Gamer Hour episode for you this coming Wednesday and another great podcast coming up on Friday. So stay tuned for that future coverage on the Esports Network podcast feed. As always, I was your host, Mitch Reeves. This was the Esports Network podcast with Reuters. Have a great day.